So Holy Spirit, we just want to invite you to blow through here right now. We just pray, Lord, come and uh, uh, direct us, come and inspire us, come and move us into your plans, into your direction, for your name's sake, for your glory. Come and speak to us so clearly today. Come and release us, come and reposition us, come and equip us, come and anoint us, Lord Jesus, for your glory and for your name's sake, for your fame in the world today, Lord. We recognize that you are the king of the earth. You are the king of all kings and all the praise, therefore, belongs to you. So we offer ourselves again to you. Say, Lord, come and speak to us. Come and meet with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please do take your seats. So uh, we are looking at Jesus' command to go. Go everywhere, to everyone, for all time, but start here. Start where you are. Uh, We're looking at starting our mission where most of us spend the majority of our waking moments, which is in the workplace, And this subject of our secular workplace is really important, I think, because very few of us are called to full-time church work. And so for most people, their calling, their calling to ministry is in the workplace. That's where your true ministry is. And I'm really happy for us to recognize that this morning and also to see that God really does care about our work. And he wants to be involved in our everyday lives. I mean, last time we were looking at the fact that work was God's idea. And it's an idea that Jesus fully supported. I mean, he thought work was so important that he spent the majority of his earthly life in secular work. Did you realize that? Think about it. Only three years of ministry in 33 years. And yet so many of us struggle with work. Uh, there's many people who just find work difficult, uh, incredibly unfulfilling and unrewarding. There was a Gallup survey done a few years ago, and it showed that 70% of us disliked our work. That's a lot, isn't it? 90% of these people even lacked sufficient motivation to get out of bed in the morning. So that's why you're struggling on Monday, maybe. And this is a trend that's continuing. A recent study by the Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development, who continually monitor workplace attitudes, showed that the majority of people are still dissatisfied with their job. They work too many hours with too much stress and not enough reward. So why is it that so many of us find work such a chore when work is clearly what God intended for us. Surely work has got to be more than something to be endured in order to make a living. And that's what I want to look at today. Work, a curse, and a blessing. Because you see, the thing is, it all started out right. You know, work as God intended it. When Adam started his job in the Garden of Eden... It was a blessing. It was an incredible blessing. It started in Genesis 2.15. It says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. Adam was employed 
by God with Eve, who came along a few verses later, to rule over creation, including the plants and the animals, to farm it and to look after it. That was their job description. And their place of work was Eden. Now, if you know anything about the meaning of words, Eden means paradise or pleasure. So their place of work was a place of pleasure. It was literally a pleasure to work. That's how God intended it. It even had a great climate, you know. It was so warm that you didn't even have to wear your clothes. Talk about dress down days. But also, you, they had God as their employer, a perfect employer. He provided them with great working conditions, a plentiful supply of food, a day off every week. And there are only two rules for this workplace. Number one, you're free to eat of anything. Anything in the garden you can have. Number two, but don't eat that tree. If you do, you'll die. I mean, can you imagine it? Induction day at Eden. You're given a desk, a new computer, told to help yourself to coffee, free meals all day, just don't go in there. If you do, you're dead. If you even look there, you're dead. If you even touch it, you're dead. Don't do it or you're both dead. I mean, can you imagine that? Who'd want to work in that kind of workplace? But actually, it's, a more, it's more like this. It's a bit like we read earlier, the job description of Adam. Well, this is the health and safety bit. It was perfectly reasonable, and we have similar rules today. So if your job involves going on a building site, for example, you have to wear a hard hat or take precautions. If you're a pharmacist dispensing medicines, you've got to do so in accordance with the rules, otherwise somebody might die. Or if you're an electrician and you don't fit the correct safety switches, somebody might be electrocuted. These things are a matter of life and death. And so it was with Adam and Eve. It's just that they thought that they knew better. They broke the one rule and disobeyed God and ate from the forbidden tree. Which leads God to say these sobering words in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3 verses 16 to 18. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to your children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. And this is how work became a curse. Pain in childbearing, painful toil, thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow, all words that speak of difficulty, of of stress, of hard work, labouring, struggling, sweating. It's not to say that there can't still be some joy in work or job satisfaction. After all, creation is still very beautiful. Food can still be grown. And there's still real joy in having children. But these things wouldn't come 
so easily. The fun has been taken out of it because of sin. And not only was the enjoyment of work affected, so also is the workplace. So in Genesis 3.23, God moves Adam and Eve out of the Garden of, of Eden, banishing them to work the ground from which they'd been taken, outside of Eden. They were evicted from Eden and all its wonderful benefits. So work was no longer part of Eden, meaning pleasure, but work became work, toil and labor. Work in that moment was separated from pleasure. And these things directly impact our work today. I mean, perhaps it explains why we find work so hard sometimes. Work is a curse because it's been cursed by God because of sin. Work in reality is painful toil, thorns and thistles, the sweat of your brow. Or perhaps we could use more familiar phrases to us today, lack of job satisfaction, job insecurity, boredom, pointlessness, overworked, undervalued, underpaid, unreasonable demands, and work-related stress. Anybody, anybody recognize any of those words? Work-related stress, of course, is a huge problem in the British workplace. The HSC recently reported, and I can't even count, I can't even work this out how this works out. But 15.4 million days were lost in 2017-2018 because of work-related stress, and 44% of all sick leave in the UK is down to anxiety and stress. That's crazy. Work isn't fun for so many of us. Work is not even good for us. It makes us ill. God has cursed work and the enjoyment of work and it's all under judgment. So we're just going to have to get on with it then. Is that the message? I hope not. (laughs) Can there be any hope for us as Christians today? Yes. Because of Jesus who came to reverse the curse. So this is how the Bible tells us it happened. When Jesus died on the cross in Galatians 3.13, it says that he redeemed us from the curse of the law. That's God's judgment against sin. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Which... And what this means is that as Jesus hung on the cross, we get the opportunity for blessing in exchange for the curse. That as he hung there, all the painful toil of the cross, the thorns and the thistles that he wore around his head, the sweat which came like blood was literally absorbed into his body as he paid the price for our sin, reversing the effects of the curse. That's what it was about. But of course, Adam's sin didn't just affect our working lives. It affected every area of human existence. I mean, look at Adam in the workplace. He walked with God in the cool of the day. How amazing is that? No separation from God. There was no decay in creation, but whereas there is now, it was created to be good, but now it decays. Death came into the world with Adam's sin because God says, if you eat that tree, you will surely die. 
So it wasn't just the work that was affected all of human existence. But Jesus took all these things upon himself. Which means that in just the same way as we can have hope in our lives for our eternal destiny, so also we can have hope for our work, which somehow we separate from our Christian lives. There's work and life by his work on the cross because even these consequences were taken into account. Can I have an amen? Isn't that good news? One or two people think it is. But what does it mean? What is the practical outworking of this? Does it mean that on Monday we can all return to work with the expectation of an Eden-type existence where everything comes easy and we live in paradise again? Yes, please, Jesus. Yes, please. But sadly, no. It's exactly the same as the fact that we don't always experience complete healing in the world today. Neither can we be fully exempt from other um, aspects of the curse, which we still have to live with, suffering and pain and so on, all of which we still have to live with this side of eternity. But it do, and it, So it does mean that we're still going to have to endure some of the painful toil of work, the sweat of our brows, the... The ground still produces thorns and thistles. If you want to come and see my garden, I can prove that to you. And women still have to endure pain in childbirth. Anybody? Can I have an amen there? But at the same time, I think that things can get a whole lot better than they are. I do. I think there are some real advantages in being a Christian in the workplace that many of us have discounted. I think there is some blessing for us because of Christ. Because of Christ, you see, we carry the antidote to the curse, which is blessing. People are not so convinced about this. This is true. This is what Jesus has done. We carry the antidote for the curse in us. So I want to talk in this last section about recovering work as a blessing. Does that sound good to you? I want to help you to pull a little more of heaven into your workplace so that it can be a blessing to you and you can be a blessing to your workplace. And the first thing I think that we need to know to to recover blessing in the workplace is God's calling in our lives. Are you doing what he has called you to do? Are you doing what God has asked you to do with your life? Did you know that your work is within the unique purpose that he has for you in your life? You know, Jeremiah says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future, even at work. Did you know that he's got plans for you and your future? That even in your work, he can make you aware of his will if you ask him. The psalmist says, God will instruct him in the way chosen for him. How about that in my workplace? God, you gave me this job. Thank you. Straight away, there's a change. There's a different perspective and we can start to look at things in a different way because I'm absolutely convinced that God really does have a unique 
purpose and calling for each one of us. I'm surprised, though, at how often people are unaware of God's plan for his lo- their lives. You ask them, what has God called you to do? Or where has he asked you to serve? And I'm not talking about church at the moment. <laughs> but what gifts has he given you? And I'm not talking about church at the moment. What gifts has he given you? But so often you're met with blank stares. <laughs> God has a unique purpose for you. And that will almost certainly include what you do with the majority of your life, which is work. How about this verse then? For we are God's work. His workmanship, his valuable masterpiece is what it literally means. Created in Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What are we doing with the rest of our lives? The majority of our lives, God has prepared good works for us to do. So find out what good works he's created for you to do. Ask him to show you. Share your thoughts with a trusted friend. Get another's perspective on it. What do you think I'm good at? Ask God to confirm it to you. And if, you're in, and if you're not in the right place, ask him to open some new doors of opportunity for you. Yeah. It's okay to come to that realization. I was sharing with you last week about a friend of mine who was convinced he was a salesman and realized he was a brilliant fundraiser. He was in the wrong place. He hadn't quite applied his gifts to the right job. One of the keys I found in, in helping people to discover their, their gifts and God's purposes in their lives is to ask them this question. I'll give you this for free. What do you really enjoy doing? You see? Once you start to think about that, you start to discover where his pleasure is. I love that in Chariots of Fire, when I run, I feel his pleasure. He knew that that was what he was called to do with his life. That's what he was gifted in. That is what he was called in. So start there. What do I really enjoy doing? Even in the context of your, your job at the moment, what bits of that job do I really enjoy doing? Because the definition of success is actually finding out what I do best and doing more of it. You know, knowing God's calling is of great advantage to us. Knowing where he has placed you means that immediately we find grace to do the job that he's given us, even when times are hard. Amen? So God's calling. We know God's, we can know blessing in our workplace when we know God's calling. Secondly, when we know that God is always with us in our workplace. He doesn't just come to church with us. We can encounter his presence in the workplace. And others can encounter his presence through us in the workplace. It says uh, in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you or abandon you, even if you go to work. He even goes to work with you. So invite him into your day. 
Go in early and pray around your workplace. If there's trouble there, go in and pray about it. Shift the atmosphere. Speak to it. I told you, I I can't remember if I've told you this or not, but I just love this story about a friend of mine who's a teacher, worked in an inner city Birmingham school, a failing school. There was so much trouble in that place. Nobody had any hope for that school. There was problems with the kids, problems with the parents, problems with the teachers. You name it, there were problems. So he decided he'd go in 6 o'clock every morning and pray. So he'd march up and down the corridors, binding and casting and blessing and praying and thanksgiving and all this and he did it for a couple of weeks and and the atmosphere in the school started to change and he started to see results and then he got a call from the head teacher saying come in i need to talk to you what have you been doing in the school at six o'clock in the morning every morning it's all caught on the video and it looked a bit strange (laughs) and he, he decided just to be honest and said i'm just praying I'm praying for our school. I'm praying for its success. I'm praying for the children. I'm praying for the teachers. I'm praying for everybody. And he said, well, you must do more of this. And he gave him an after-school club to start talking to the children about Jesus and getting the parents involved as well. They saw a move of God in the school in central Birmingham. Maybe I'll invite him to come and tell you that story one day. Amen? Go to work knowing God is with you. He can open amazing opportunities for you when his presence is invited to take charge over workplace atmospheres. I just felt to share this story with you. Um, When I was uh, working in a law firm in Birmingham, there was a problem with one of the partners. Now, if you know about law firms, partners are like demigods in law firms, and you have to be afraid of them. But unfortunately, this partner uh, was a bully, and she, she bullied lots of different members of staff. She was obnoxious she was a horrible person to be around and then one day she bullied me and to be honest it didn't bother me that much I just thought who are you you know whatever it didn't honestly bother me that much but I felt the Holy Spirit say I want you to take this further I want you to do something about this because if you don't then she is going to keep harassing all these other people so I said, okay, God. So I took it to the next level and I made a complaint. I was actually quite frightened of doing that because the consequences, I could lose my job. What actually happened, long story short, they went through a whole season of uh, disciplinaries with this person to help her. They believed me because of my reputation. And eventually she got removed and was told to leave the firm because this isn't the culture of the firm. And lots of other people are so grateful Listen, if God is with you in your workplace, he gives you authority to deal with giants (laughs) and to shift some atmospheres in that place. That may be why he's put you there. Think about that. Work is a blessing when we know God is our helper. Again, in Hebrews 13.6, So I say with confidence, say the word confidence, confidence the lord is my helper i will not be afraid what can man do to me i want to just break that verse down into three these three things firstly god is our helper how about that the god of the universe is our helper and so he can give us wisdom and insight in our workplace he can lead us and guide us And as a lawyer, I often used to pray, especially when I was under pressure, because that's the time when you miss things. 
and missing things in your in a law job is dangerous. Um, uh, and so I, I just pray and say, Lord, help me. If there's anything I've missed, will you show me? Because it's easy to see the things that are there, but it's the things that aren't there. That's the tricky bit. So, Lord, show me. And so many times I would just stumble upon something I'd nearly missed, or I'd wake up in the morning and think, I've got to go and do this. And, uh, do you know, amazingly, in 20 years of work, I never had a single negligence action against me. If you're in a, a legal world at all, you'll know that that's pretty exceptional. And I put that down to God just protected me time and time again. God literally helps us yes, in our workplace because he cares about your workplace. Yeah, yeah. Ask him to help you. Secondly, I will not be afraid. You know, we don't need to be afraid. It's okay to be confident at work. That's why I got you to say the word confident. I just feel like there's something for a number of people here. You need to know it's okay to be confident at work. Does that mean anything to anybody? It's time to start being confident. Own up to who you are. Be who you are in the workplace. Um, Our job security isn't dependent on what the boss says, what the company does, or what the finances dictate even. God is my boss He's my Lord, just like he was Adam. I remember when redundancies hit my company when I was at Wimpy Homes, and lots of the legal department lost their jobs. Uh, But people kept commenting on how peaceful I seemed. Inside, I was a raging inferno. But apparently, I looked really peaceful, and uh, the financial director thanked me for the mature way in which I'd handled myself and that I'd even helped the staff to be calm. Actually, I was terrified on the inside, but I, I knew what to do with that terror, and I took it to God. I said, Lord, I'm really worried about this. I've got a young family. Don't know how I'm going to pay for this, but I'm trusting you. I'm giving this to you. We don't need to be afraid. We can be bold and fearless in what we do. Putting my trust in God gave me an advantage. Thirdly, what can man do to me? You know, the fear of man is a real paralyzer. But we don't need to fear man, but we do need to fear God. Jesus says in that extremity prior to his crucifixion to Pilate, he says, you, will, you have no power over me if it wasn't given to you from above. I know who's really in charge, Pilate. How about saying that to some people? Maybe not out loud. but (laughs) You stand there and say, I am not afraid of you because I know God and he's on my side. If God's for us, who can be against us? We can work boldly and fearlessly, living righteously for God. I was once instructed to lie by my boss on the threat of losing my job uh, because of the liability that would be incurred against the firm if I told the truth about what my boss had done. It wasn't even my fault. And I said, Lord, what do I do about this? Help. And he suddenly dropped this phrase into me, and I think I could write a book on this. It's so cool. I said, I can't lie because if I lie for you, then how can you ever be sure that I won't lie to you? I think that's really cool. (laughs) I said to him, up until now, you've been able to trust me every time I speak to you because you know I don't lie. But if I lie for you, you're never going to trust me again in the same way. He withdrew his threat and I told the truth. And the client forgave us. 
because we told the truth. And he said that was worth more to us than the loss incurred by the mistake. How about that? God turned it around. Don't be afraid. And next, God is our peace. So John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give you as the world gives. <laughs> don't let your heart be troubled and don't be afraid. I don't give you as the world gives. There's the clue. There's the advantage straight away. We can have a peace where others can't in the midst of chaos. This is a reality, not a state of mind. It's something we can have in Christ, something we can possess. It's a gift that we can access in the middle of stress and trouble. Sometimes we can lose our peace, though, and we need to get it back. Anybody? You know what I'm talking about? Um, One of the things I've found helpful during those times is to begin to speak peace to myself. And it's like you have to apply peace. It isn't just a state of mind. You actually have to apply it to yourself to declare peace in an unpeaceful situation. So this is something that I've been doing. Maybe you want to do this with me. You can if you like. So I say this. Say it after me. Let's just try it out. See what it feels like, okay? I speak to the raging waters in my life. Peace be still. I say to my mind, Peace be still. I say to my emotions, Peace be still. I say to my body, Peace be still. I say to my home, Peace be still. I say to my family, Peace be still. I say to my workplace, think about it. Think about your workplace. Look at it in your mind's eye. I say to my workplace, peace be still in Jesus' name. Did you feel that? Just guarding your heart, the peace of God, just guarding your heart in that moment as we declare peace. We take authority over fear and we acquire peace by applying it to our lives. We have a peace that the world cannot have. And this peace is the antidote to fear, anxiety, and workplace stress. Guarding our hearts with peace and handing over our anxieties to him. So need some of that today? Peace, be still, in Jesus' name. And work can be a blessing, finally, when we know God's anointing in our workplace. That's God's supernatural ability to do your job. Anybody excited about that at all, you know? Supernatural ability to do my job? Did you know that? That God can anoint you, give you supernatural ability to do your job well? Surely not. Surely this is just for the preachers and the church leaders. No! Did you know that God is really interested in what you do day to day? I think sometimes we can think that it's not spiritual or godly to have a secular job or calling. And that somehow this makes us a second-class Christian. uh, And being a church leader, a full-time church worker is more important. It isn't. God is really interested in you and what you do. 
I love this. Mark Green wrote, we don't become secularized, despiritualized, unholy when we are in the workplace. We go to work with God's authority and in his power. We go to work as his ambassadors with his message. So we need to call on God to help us to live according to our true identity. Amen. You don't become secularized or despiritualized or unholy because you go to work on Monday. The same spirit that's here with us now, you carry wherever you go. Amen? And then looking back through the Bible, do you realize just how many of our heroes weren't church leaders or priests, but people who went around doing their secular jobs anointed by God? Now think about David, his CV, shepherd, giant slayer, military leader, king, who wrote psalms in his spare time, but was called a man after God's own heart. David, secular leader. Daniel C.V., academic civil servant and advisor to the king. Part-time lion tamer too is there, just on the (laughs) bottom of the C.V. Joseph C.V., spy on brothers, slave worker, Managing slaves, prisoner, prison manager. See, he even gets promoted. Prime Minister of Egypt, part-time dream interpreter. He was a secular leader. Jesus, his CV, carpenter, building, 20 years experience at least. Part-time student in the temple, teacher, Winemaker directly from water, <laughs> miracle worker, and Christ. Yes. That's his CV. Getting the picture. Yeah. We need to ask for his daily anointing to go to work to serve God, to be full time for God in the workplace. That's your mission. That's our mission. Using the gifts that he's given us for his glory. Yeah. There are so many other advantages. I wrote several others but thought it would go on too long. There are so many advantages of being a spirit-filled believer in the workplace. Just the support and encouragement of our Christian friends who pray for us. Having a godly character means you're trustworthy and people give you responsibility. Having a clear conscience means I don't go around with the baggage that some people do. The fact I can speak in front of people, that's a huge advantage in the workplace. You get to practice regularly at church, talking in front of people, and so on. All of these things can help us to do a better job, cope better with our work, redeem our work. And as we deliberately look to take God to work with us, we change the world in which we live. Imagine your impact on the workplace if you take his presence to work with you on Monday. If his peace is on you, who are people going to turn to when they're worried about something? If his peace is on you, if you carry peace into the workplace, if you encourage people, if you do prophetic words but call it encouragement, (laughs) you speak prophetic words over people in the workplace, who are they going to gather around? Who are you going to end up leading because you've encouraged somebody? One of the things I love saying, and it's not a boast at all, it's just something I recognize God does, that everybody that ever worked for me always got promoted. 
And I think it's because I prophesied over them every day and told them how great they were and just helped them to see their potential in God. And they didn't even know it. Some of them do. So what about it then? How about getting a different attitude to the workplace? 